0: This podcast is hosted by Dr. Happimon Jacob. Dr. Jacob is an Associate Professor of Security Studies at Jawaharlal Nehru University, New Delhi. His weekly column on India's national security and foreign policy issues is published by The Hindu. He is also the author of two new books on India-Pakistan border, Line on Fire by Oxford University Press and Line of Control by Penguin India. Hello and welcome to the National Security Conversation. The new Prime Minister of Pakistan, Imran Khan, has called for an enhancement of the bilateral trade between India and Pakistan. Echoing this sentiment, the Indian High Commission to Pakistan has also argued that there is no better way of promoting um, and improving bilateral relations than mutually beneficial economic ties. Despite the political tensions between India and Pakistan, uh, we have had a certain amount of trade happening between the two sides. Very little, it's about uh, $2.2 billion um, in the past uh, uh, year. Um, in fact, a recent World Bank study suggested that uh, if there is conducive environment, if the non-tari- non-tariff barriers are removed, uh, the uh, trade between India and Pakistan could go up to 37 billion dollars. Now that's a that's a great jump from what we have today, which is 2.2 billion dollars. Um, but India also has a very um, extensive amount of uh, informal trade with Pakistan, um, almost double of uh, what we have what we have what we have been doing formally between the two sides. Uh, but the question is, should there be trade between India and Pakistan? Uh, now that, the answer to that could be very subjective. Uh, Um, And yet, uh, I think uh, we should uh, understand in great detail uh, what ails India-Pakistan trade and what are the things that can be done in order to promote and and strengthen the India-Pakistan trade that is happening very minimally at this point of time. To talk to me about this and more, I have with me in the studio, Professor Nisha Taneja. Uh, Nisha Taneja is a professor um, at the Indian Council for Research on international economic relations based out of New Delhi. She works on um, um, diverse areas like uh, regional trade, um, transport, industrial economics and institutional economics. Um, she's a consultant with the World Bank and is one of the leading experts in the country on India-Pakistan um, trade. Uh, Professor Taneja, welcome to the National Security Conversation.
1: Thank you, pleasure to be here.
0: Uh, Professor Tanaj, I was wondering if we could uh, begin this conversation with you giving us an overview uh, of the India-Pakistan trade. Uh, where were we, where are we, where can we go from here?
1: Currently it is at 2.4 billion US dollars. Uh, 1.9 billion of which is India's exports and half a billion is uh, India's imports from Pakistan. The maximum and the highest that we have reached was uh, in 2013-14 which was uh, 2.7 billion. Um, But on the whole, I would still say that it's been gradually on the increase. The main items that are exported to Pakistan include uh, cotton yarn and fabric, pharmaceutical uh, raw materials, um, dyes and polypropylene. These are the major uh, export items. And what we import largely is dates, uh, cement, mineral fuels and cotton. now, uh, if it is placed in the context of the other South Asian countries, then actually we are trading much less with Pakistan than we are with the other South Asian countries. For instance, with Bangladesh, our trade is currently at 9 billion US dollars, with uh, Nepal it is at 7 billion, uh, with Sri Lanka it is at 5 billion. So even uh, Sri Lanka is almost double of uh, our trade with uh, Pakistan. Also, India has always had a trade surplus with Pakistan.
0: But do you think the uh, do you agree with the World Bank study, which suggested thirty seven billion dollars, or is that is that an overestimation? Uh,
1: well, there is uh, a huge potential, untapped potential, undoubtedly, and um, the fact is that this potential is untapped, and that there are possibilities, even if it is not thirty nine even if it is 38 even if it is 25 the fact remains that it is substantially higher than existing trade and one key evidence is the fact that we are trading informally so that is evidence of the potential. So. Uh,
0: You you know, Professor Taneja, people always make a distinction between the pre-'96 era and the post-'96 era. I believe that's because that is when India gave uh, the MFN status to Pakistan uh, uh, based on the WTO um, regulations. Uh, Did that that substantially change the India-Pakistan trade uh, or was that a marginal change?
1: Uh, Let's go back to 1947 when we were actually trading with each other, but gradually trade kept decreasing between the two countries. And in 65, it came to a standstill. Then for nine years, there was no trade at all. And in 74, the trade uh, dialogue was resumed. And uh, this was basically an arrangement where both countries decided that they would trade in a limited number of commodities, uh, which was a handful of commodities. And interestingly, this was called the positive list. And Uh, very clearly the two countries kept uh, increasing the positive list based on their needs from the other country. And very typically, whenever there were shortages, we would look at Pakistan and Pakistan would look at India. So, uh, this was the pattern uh, until 1996, after the formation of the WTO, uh, all member countries were required to provide most favoured nation status to every other country. So, India felt that it had to offer MFN status to Pakistan because otherwise it would not be compliant with the WTO rules. But Pakistan refused to uh, offer MFN status to India. Now this… But isn't that in
0: violation of the WTO rules? Exactly.
1: So, also GATT article 24 actually has a provision under para 11 uh, where it allowed India and Pakistan to enter into a special trade arrangement. Now that was open to interpretation. Did that mean that after partition, uh, because we were one nation, we were being given time to normalize trade or did that mean that we could have a special arrangement forever? So this was open to interpretation, but uh, thereafter I think Pakistan basically linked this whole trade issue to uh, the Kashmir issue and it was completely enmeshed where the, the trading pivots were MFN versus the Kash- resolution of the Kashmir issue.
0: Right, but again in 2011, I think things started picking up. You had about um, um, the commerce secretaries of the two sides meeting six rounds of talks that was ha- that happened in, in in 2011 around. the Tariff issues, non-tariff issues. Um, they were talking about uh, shifting from positive list to negative list, easing of visas, progress on standards. Uh, what happened to uh, what? So how did how did that process come to a grinding halt?
1: We had a very complex web of trade and transport policies between the two countries, uh, and both trade and transport policies were actually on a dual track. And uh, on the trade front, we. We've heard about the positive list and you know the restrictions on trade on that front. but uh, but on the uh, um, on the transport side we had a very restrictive maritime protocol. In 1973 uh, when uh, the trade talks were resumed, there was also a, a, a maritime protocol which was put in place which said that the two countries could trade with each other by the sea route but only Indian and Pakistani flagships could carry cargo, to each other. What does that mean? Which meant that only the national flagships, only the vessels, could, only the Indian and Pakistani vessels could carry cargo no and part that part. no, no foreign uh, uh, ship could actually carry cargo. Mm-hmm. So this was very restrictive because what it meant was there was no competition and costs were therefore high, uh, transport costs were very high and uh, the vessel frequency was less. So it was very, uh, very restrictive. In 2005, not much is known that uh, a, lot, a lot happened on the transport front, uh, which is that um, the, the, the shipping protocol was amended and foreign flagships were allowed to move between the two countries. Uh, the road uh, route was opened. Uh, Though only for a limited number of items, in fact, only about 13 items were permitted to be exported from India to Pakistan by the road route. So there was a separate positive list for the road
0: route. What explains that? I mean, if you have a a certain list, that list would be universally applicable to all... Um, crossings not just to uh, say the 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 land border or to the sea route.
1: The fear on the Pakistani side was because it was part of the MFN uh, status and uh, non-MFN status and they had a different list positive list for the uh, road route and a different one for the sea route Um, and on the rail route goods were permitted all goods were permitted so it's not just you know, the road restriction on the road route, but it was also different for road and rule, uh, uh, road and rail, both on the land route. So, that was another. So, uh, basically, it was, it's been so complicated and so unique to the two countries, the way the two countries were trading. So, actually, 2.4 billion, is not a bad amount considering all these restrictions. So despite these restrictions we've actually been able to trade with each other.
0: Okay, just to go back to my earlier question about this process that began in 2011. What happened to that process? Uh,
1: So what did we achieve in that process? Basically, uh, I think it was historic because uh, a the negotiating levers shifted from the link between MFN and the Kashmir issue to a link between only trade issues, which meant that, basically, India wanted MFN uh, status and Pakistan in return wanted India to address some of the non-tariff barriers which India was, uh, which they felt that India was imposing. And uh, on both fronts, uh, for they there was a blueprint which was laid out, uh, which meant that there would be a sequential phasing out of the MFN uh, or rather, phasing in of the MFN. And uh, India, on the other hand, said it would do whatever it could to remove non-tariff barriers. And some of uh, the measures that India did take were, for instance, recognize some of the testing certificates, particularly those related to the textile sector. And textile is a huge, is of huge interest to Pakistan because it is one of their main trading sectors. So, uh, the other thing was that one of the issues that came up was that the two countries do not know much about each other's regulatory regimes. So there is a huge amount of information asymmetry on how to trade with, with each other. What are the regulatory reco- requirements? And Pakistan particularly was unaware of a lot of the policies that India had.
0: But well, why is that so difficult to understand? You have the business councils, you have businessmen who can talk to each other. You, I mean this is, this is not um, um, say South Africa and India, this is India and Pakistan next to each not other. Not
1: the kind of visa restrictions that we have. Uh, talking to each other is not like normal trading partners would, so there are restrictions of so many different kinds, uh, and so it is an asymmetric marketplace for Indian and Pakistani goods uh, to trade. Um, it's a not it's not a normal marketplace, so uh, that's the reason.
0: There was a lot of buzz around the sale of potential sale of electricity from the Indian Punjab to Lahore um, during the early phase of Mr. Modi's prime ministership ministership and Mr. Nawaz Sharif's prime ministership in Pakistan. Uh, In fact, a team uh, of Indians visited uh, both the Pakistani Punjab and Islamabad and held talks with various people. Uh, Where did that reach in twenty fifteen?
1: Yes, yes, it started with a lot of enthusiasm, uh, and there was more enthusiasm on the Pakistani side than on the Indian side because Pakistan was going through a massive shortage of electricity at that time and uh, they felt that their economy would revive if they could get electricity from India. But simultaneously, while we were taking time to uh, you know work out the nitty gritties of the electricity trading arrangement, um, Pakistan was able to get access from uh, from Iran and from Central Asia, so that immediate need was taken care of. Therefore, you know that that ur- sense of urgency had gone, but simultaneously, I think the the peace talks were also in the process of uh, breaking, down. breaking down. So. Uh, Basically, so the, the whole issue died out.
0: That's that's interesting. So immediate needs of the Pakistani state was taken care of by Central Asian countries and Iran. And now with the Chinese power projects coming online in Pakistan, it's going to be there there's going to be even less interest in Pakistan of buying uh, electricity from India. Would, would that be an accurate assessment? Uh, the,
1: it would be less because Chinese uh, investments are uh, in the energy sector are colossal. They are investing in solar, in coal, in wind, in hydro. So, it is a colossal program that they are getting into. But that does not mean that there will be no opportunity for India to trade with uh, Pakistan in electricity. Let us not forget that we have a huge uh, common border, land border. And so there would be areas where it would be cheaper for pakistan to access electricity from india so whenever the time is ripe or whenever the political relations are good there would be avenues for uh, electricity trade between the two countries
0: you know i mean you mentioned one of the reasons why probably the 2015 uh, initiative did not really go very far was because of the breakdown in the relationship Uh, do you ask as a scholar As a researcher, do you believe it is necessary to isolate the trading relationship between the two sides uh, from the security political relationship? I
1: believe very strongly in it. But unfortunately, trade does become hostage to the overall political situation. But if trade reaches a certain uh, threshold level, which means that till the time that there is a strong interdependence in trade between the two countries, uh, politics will continue to play a role in inhibiting this uh, movement so it's very important that we reach that threshold and it's very important that every time we get a small window of opportunity we make the most of that window and because we move very slowly whenever there is a window uh, there is always a setback
0: are there any strong voices within india or pakistan are there any are there any um, lobbies or communities of traders who are expressing this strong argument that we need to have a trading relationship with Pakistan, India, or in Pakistan.
1: In fact, the the business organisations in both in both countries have always argued that they don't want to be held hostage to the political process and that the two should be delinked. So they've been very, very vocal about it. In fact, they have a joint business forum. The CII and the Pakistan Business Council have a joint business forum, uh, which uh, which tried very hard to. Uh, convince the two governments uh, to continue to trade. But if you look at the current situation then there is, um, the business communities are quiet right now.
0: What does the joint India Pakistan joint business forum do, I mean um, do they meet regularly, do they come out with studies, what is it that they They are involved in? They
1: have several uh, subgroups uh, under the ambit of this uh, forum. And, uh, in this subgroup, they have different sectors, they look. there is agriculture, there is small, small industries. There is a number of subgroups that is uh, and they come out with reports. They inform both governments about it.
0: But I'm told that this is in some sort of a suspended animation at this point of time. He yes. said, "Why? Why is that?" For so the
1: past one year, again because the signals are not there.
0: There's a larger question here, professor asia which is that India and Pakistan have not traded for a very long time in a very substantive sense of the term. So they may have found alternative markets. They may have found alternative routes. They don't really have to depend on the so-called traditional uh, trading relationship with Pakistan and Pakistan with India. Um, so, is there any um, is there any strong desire in the two countries uh, among the lobbies to continue uh, or to have a robust trading partnership simply because they have found alternatives in the past?
1: Trade is dynamic, and it will keep changing, and. Uh, and so it's not just India-Pakistan. All countries are always looking for alternative markets, depending on who is giving the best product at the lowest price. So this search is ongoing for amongst all countries, and that will continue even between India and Pakistan. And trade will keep uh, uh, keep getting realized, depending on the opportunities that are available between the two countries. So this will this will uh, certainly continue, and there will always be a demand in both countries for each other's products. And uh, in fact, I would say that there are some products in both countries which are so exclusively made for each other.
0: So it doesn't matter whether or not we have uh, or we have not had a robust trading partnership with Pakistan. Once you open the floodgates, the trade will pick up. That's your argument.
1: Absolutely. In fact, uh, in in 11-12, when this opening up phase began, there were a lot of exhibitions in both countries of each other's products. And that met with a huge success.
0: But Pakistan's refusal to give um, the MFN status to India. How, how strong a, a problem is that in terms of the India-Pakistan trade? Uh, is that a major impediment or is that a minor impediment in your sort of... Uh, I would
1: say that the major part of the trade liberalization uh, in terms of the MFN process is actually complete. So, it is only 1200 odd items that have, uh, that continue to be on the banned list. Uh, and here basically these are automobile products, uh, pharmaceutical products and agricultural products. And uh, even in the, uh, and these, uh, all three sectors are basically sectors which Pakistan, Pakistan is very protective about anyway, even with the rest of the world. So, once they open up, it is not like they are opening the floodgates for India because this would continue to draw uh, high tariffs. But uh, in the automobile sector, for instance, it is very interesting that in out of the 165 items that are on the uh, banned list, only 35 items are such that they are, that India is globally competitive in, which means these are the items which would pose competition to uh, the Pakistani uh, domestic industry. But these are also items which which Pakistan is importing from Japan. Most of these are coming from Japan and not from China. So it is also about a switch, you know, which Pakistan may switch from the Japanese uh, components to the Indian components and the industry would actually gain. So they are also not well informed about what opening up means. and. Uh, an informed dialogue would really help if in you know uh, helping them to overcome their fears about opening
0: up one question about um, uh, the informal trade that is taking place between India and Pakistan. Much of it, much of it is, of course, taking place through Dubai or, or Iran, um, etc. Um, Pakistan maintains a list of uh, close to 1,300 uh, or 1,200 items on the negative list. Um, in fact, one of your studies, uh, which I happened to read recently, um, you, you did a survey and the survey showed that more than 50 percent of the products being exported informally from India to Pakistan were on the negative list. So if you were to remove, if Pakistan were to remove that negative list, um, you're going to see a reduction in that uh, info- informal trade between India and Pakistan. Is that is that correct?
1: But that hasn't happened because just removing them from the negative list is not going to create the conditions for trade because there is a whole paraphernalia around it which needs to be put in place for trade to be able to uh, take place formally. Um, For instance, uh, all the restrictions on the road route and the rail route need to be removed. Uh, Only then can… You
0: mean the amount of items that can be traded via the uh, land route or the sea route?
1: Uh, Sea route and plus the rail route which is the cheapest has the maximum restrictions and not restrictions but it is, uh, the wagons are antiquated, uh, the, the trains don't move on time, uh, there is no transparency in how the wagons would be allocated. So people do not know how to trade by the uh, by the rail route which is the cheapest and that should be the easiest to access but it is the most difficult to access.
0: But I recently went to the Atari border, Wagga Atari border and I saw this very sophisticated um, um, uh, trading complex there Pakistani trucks coming to the Indian side, the Indian trucks going to that side. That is that's that's, the road route. That, and and is, that, is that doing very well Much better,
1: to... Much better than the uh, rail route but the problem with the road route is that Now, only 137 items are permitted to be traded. This list has expanded from 13 to 137. Uh, Only 137 items are permitted to be exported by the road route, which leaves India with only one option, which is the rail route, I mean the cheapest uh, route. But because of the problems associated with the rail route, they have to resort to a much longer distance and a higher cost and they have to trade through the sea route
0: and and you are categorically, categorically making the argument that the ball is in pakistan's court pakistan basically has to increase this list uh, as far as road route is concerned
1: yes but on the rail uh, route i think we could do a lot for instance improving the infrastructure uh, uh, improving uh, the transparency uh, and making it a better mode of transport All that is in our hands, but we have not bothered to do that. And it is also not coming to notice that this is the route for which our exports are dependent and that we need we keep thinking that oh there is the road route which is working and keep forgetting that the road route is accessible only for 137 items so we need to be putting our energy into the rail route.
0: How do you view the potential for India Pakistan trade in the context of the many connectivity projects that we are we are hearing day in and day out these days CPEC to Obor and all the rest so do you think there is a lot more potential for India-Pakistan trade in the context of uh, uh, these these connectivity initiatives that are are being undertaken these days. So,
1: Pakistan is undertaking these connectivity projects, Uh, we are also undertaking connectivity projects. But that is minus Pakistan. Yes. (laughs) And theirs is minus India. Exactly. So, you know, if they are going to connect with 10 other countries uh, on the western side and we are going to connect with 10 other countries on the eastern side, ultimately there is such a small stretch between the between india and pakistan that needs to be connected and we have 20 countries connected to each other so the stakes are so high of not connecting with each other that once these corridors are in place there would actually be a natural pressure on both countries to connect with each other so I'm very hopeful that ultimately the two countries have to connect with each other and the more they connect eastward and westward, the greater the pressure is going to be. On so, on In countries. other words,
0: have I understood correctly? Um, the Indian um, side has certain connectivity projects uh, of its own. The Pakistani side has its own connectivity connectivity projects and they don't intersect and that's one of the major problems.
1: Absolutely. And that the intersection is what we are going to be waiting for. And we are connecting as part of our Look East policy, we are looking at the eastern side, we are connecting with Myanmar and onwards uh, with East Asia, we are also undertaking the BBIN project which is the, we have the BBIN motor vehicles uh, agreement under which uh, seamless transportation is envisaged between these countries. So there are, there is a lot of movement on that side, on the eastern side and a lot of movement on the western side uh, with that Pakistan is initiating in collaboration with. China.
0: What about the South Asian Free Trade Agreement? Um, why has it not been able to promote bilateral, bilateral trade between the two sides?
1: It hasn't been able to because of the impasse between India and Pakistan. So, SAF- the SAFTA process can't continue without India and Pakistan being on board. But that doesn't mean that whatever has been achieved under SAFTA is not happening. That continues. Those concessions continue and the trade continues. It's just that forward progress is not happening.
0: Do you think the security arguments that one often hears in New Delhi about uh, um, uh, trading with Pakistan that it, 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 it will impact negatively on our security and therefore we can't have a trade with Pakistan? How how credible is that argument in your in your estimation?
1: Security is a genuine concern. There's no doubt about that. But I think there is uh, we overdo it. There is an overdrive, and uh, there are so many ways of uh, dealing with it. And we are claiming to be uh, digital India. So there's so many ways of dealing with it, and with technology reaching the way uh, where it has, uh, there are many options. For instance, why should every consignment be checked at the border? You know, uh, that too manually. We should be having scanners, automatic scanners, um, so that the trucks just run full body them, scanners. full body scanners. So
0: you don't have that in water. We don't, we don't at- have Atari border.
1: We don't have those. So it's so easy to address something like this, but we haven't done it. Similarly, visas, uh, we can easily have a profiling, everything is digitized. So at least bona fide traders should be able to trade with each other, bona fide tourists should be able to visit each other. So you know, uh, these are things that we can easily do, but we are not doing them.
0: Where is the reluctance coming from? Is that coming from the political class? Political.
1: That... Again, like I said, the overdrive. and. Uh, not understanding that there are so many stakeholders involved and that they need to be dissociated and they need, they need to be pursued on different tracks without compromising on security.
0: Prof. Taneja, you, uh, you wrote a paper last year, um, India-Pakistan trade opportunities for medical value travel and I found that very interesting and you argued in that one sector that has the potential to grow despite prevailing conditions is the healthcare sector. This is a sector in which the government and stakeholders can initiate reforms at a low uh, political risk. That's a, that's, that's a sunrise field. What are some of the opportunities and challenges in this healthcare sector?
1: Plenty of opportunities. Uh, in fact, uh, liver transplant is one of the major ailments that uh, Pakistan is actually, um, a a lot of Pakistani medical tourists come to India for treatment. The other area where um, a lot of patients are coming is uh, uh, the field of pediatric. Basically in all specialized um, clinical treatments, there is a huge demand uh, by Pakistani patients to come to India for treatment. There is a very soft, humane angle to the whole thing. Pakistani child comes for treatment and it makes headline news. Nobody can say anything negative about a thing like that. But unfortunately,
0: um, why are we not promoting it?
1: We are not promoting it actively, but it's happening. If you are not active, I think it's better.
0: <laughs> what about the the potential for e-commerce? Um, um, for example, we have Amazon and various other e-commerce platforms are jumping into uh, this this area, and I've, I've I read about it in I think in one of these newspapers about um, e-commerce sort of increasing the potential for trade between India and Pakistan. How do you sort of see that the future of it in the days to come?
1: That's huge and it will do what the two countries have not been able to do. How does it work? So basically, uh, a lot of the uh, companies uh, based in Dubai um, are linked to e-commerce companies in India and Pakistan. So uh, they're actually bridging the gap, uh, information gap, they're getting buyers and sellers together and most important, all small traders can get hooked to the platform and find markets for each other in the 2 countries. So, that could be really a revolution. So, like what we are saying that, you know, uh, that there has been an expansion of the positive list and a lot of barriers have been removed, why is trade not taking place? Because these market imperfections persist. So, e-commerce can actually bridge these uh, information asymmetries, market related, information related and trade trade could actually get realized between the two countries. So
0: this is informal trade going online.
1: No, this is not all informal trade because even formal trade is happening through Dubai because of the restrictions uh, on the land route.
0: But some of the informal trade also can go online because, as you correctly pointed out, yes. the trade is based in Dubai elsewhere. Yes, can feed into this uh, e-commerce system.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Because ultimately, Dubai is a free port and it's importing. It can import and export anything from anywhere. So as long as something is on the positive list, it can be traded.
0: Tell us something about uh, the cross-LOC trade. Uh, In fact, um, uh, um, despite the ups and downs between India and Pakistan, cross-LOC trade seems to have sustained. Uh, What explains that?
1: Well, in 2008, it was initiated as a confidence-building measure and it has contributed to that objective in the sense that it has provided economic opportunity to a lot of uh, uh, people uh, in on both sides, um, a lot of employment and, uh, but on the flip side, uh, we also need to look at the larger economic context, which is that basically trade across the LOC is taking place through barter and there are no duties. So, this was done because it was a confidence building measure, but at the same time, it is creating a an economic distortion in the sense that If somebody is trading through VAGA, he is paying duties. But if somebody is trading through uh, LOC, he does not have to pay any duties. And there is a list of only 21 items which is permitted to be traded across the LOC. But, uh, and these goods have to be produced locally within the, within Kashmir. Now who is going to manage that? Who is going to ensure that? So goods are just moving from all over. And because there is a, and there is an economic distortion, goods are moving from South India right up to Kashmir and then across. And from the other side, I think we, it was in the papers for a long time that Californian almonds are finding their way uh, through uh, through the LOC. And it has to happen because uh, trade has to get balanced. It's barter trade, so the value that is being exported has to be matched by the value that is being imported. So this is how. The balancing is taking place through third-country trade. So,
0: when the traders uh, export or import items that are not made in Jammu and Kashmir, um, are not originated in Jammu and Kashmir, they are engaging in informal trade and potentially, probably breaking rules. Exactly. But um, the more, the better. In in one, in some sense,
1: exactly, which which is why it's a this is a tough one, you know you can make it transparent uh, and you can, because if you talk to the traders in Kashmir, they say, we want transparency, we want automation. But do they realize that once there is automation and once you have to pay duties, then goods from the rest of the country will not go there, they will go through baga. So, there is going to be a complete reorientation of the trade. So, are the traders prepared for that? For that change, we are not very
0: sure. Yeah, a lot of um, um, you know uh, hawks in India make the argument that the cross-LoC trade uh, is often used to feed um, the terrorist activities that are taking place in Jammu and Kashmir. Um, as an analyst, how do you sort of view that uh, view that argument?
1: We can link anything to security, you know. So it's and not that that link is not there. It is possible. For instance. Supposing the trade is not getting balanced uh, across the LOC and money has to come to India Mm -hmm. as payment, Mm -hmm. there is no banking channel for the money to come. So we really don't know the origin of that money. Mm. And sometimes uh, there is the two trading partners are innocent, but the money trail might be somewhere else. It's like if I can go and buy uh, dollars in um, the black market, right? But there is a money trail that I am completely oblivious to. So it could be an innocent trader, but there could be a link.
0: So how how, how do you avoid that? You avoid that by formalizing exactly. the trade across the so These are Aussie. the
1: dangers of getting into this kind of trade and so transparency, openness,
0: uh, you know going and make it rule formal trade for example they, don't exactly. make it a barter trade yeah absolutely and have banking uh, banking uh, institutions on both absolutely, sides absolutely. professor Taneja my last question if you were to give two or three policy suggestions to the two governments um, in order to improve as and when they want to improve their bilateral relationship at this point of time uh, the Indian government doesn't want to talk to Pakistan mm-hmm. Pakistan has been asking for talks so you know that's a completely different ballgame but as and when they decide to negotiate with each other what should they do in order to um, uh, begin uh, their their bilateral trade relationship?
1: Firstly I think the negotiating levers right now there is a danger that uh, trade might again get linked to um, uh, political issues and maybe we should make a concerted effort uh, to continue to uh, peg it only on trade. And for that, we have to be sensitive to what the Pakistanis might want from India on the trade front and be serious about addressing those issues. And I think our effort should be on keeping the uh, trade levers on one platform and delink them from political issues. I think that is very, very important. Uh, and we should be uh, willing to give, pa- we should go an extra mile to give Pakistan whatever it wants on the trade front. That is the only way it is going to work. Um, The other thing is that we have to have institutions in place which are long-lasting. So, if we put a formal mechanism in place, say across the border, uh, the customs officials uh, have a trade facilitation committee, then that should not break down no matter what happens. So, we need long-lasting institutions, uh, so that trade does not get disrupted. And whatever trade is happening, at least they should be uh, on the spot. mechanism to resolve day-to-day issues. That is very important. So, I think and the third thing is on visas, we have to be, uh, uh, we have to see how we can promote visas for the trading community in the two countries. By smart y- profile y-
0: y- You just said that we should India should try and help Pakistan. Are you are you talking about the trade deficit part of it? Because um, Pakistan, as it is, has a huge trade deficit at this point of time, and and Imran Khan has been looking for avenues to sort of reduce his trade deficit. Um, and 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 uh, as far as the India Pakistan trade is concerned, there is a trade deficit that is in India's favour. So, do you think Pakistan would want to engage in a, a trade conversation with India? simply because uh, it's, going to be, it's going to be a lot more trade deficit for Pakistan against uh, Pakistan in favor of India. So is that going to be a problem for Pakistan, the trade deficit issue?
1: Uh, even though they do discuss the trade uh, deficit I- issue, I think it's very important to understand the structure of trade between the two countries. Now the structure is such that Pakistan is actually importing uh, raw material and intermediate goods from us you know, and that constitutes more than 80% of our trade. And all this is actually going into the production of their finished goods. For instance, look at cotton, Mm -hmm. cotton, cotton yarn, fabric, and that's the single largest item that is going to Pakistan from India. And they need it for their textile industry and textile is their largest export item. So, uh, similarly, pharmaceuticals, we are exporting a lot of pharmaceutical raw material to Pakistan they need it for their own domestic industry so there are these interlinkages which are already there and uh, so the trade deficit is on account of these these products so you
0: say that even though the deficit is in India's favor it doesn't mean Pakistan is losing out in exactly. or in doing trade with India
1: absolutely
0: for the pleasure talking to you
1: thank you pleasure being here
0: thank you for listening to this podcast if you like this podcast please rate and follow us. For regular updates, you can also follow our Twitter handle NSC with HJ or our Facebook page National Security Conversations with Happymon Jacob.